we are going to introduce you to a couple people that are very uh, special to me. Their names are Erickson and Ainsley. So why don't y'all go ahead and come up. These are two, yeah, give them a hand, give them a hand. We're going we're gonna to do this old, old school interview style. Why don't you have a seat? Let's make this as awkward as possible for you. Look at the separation. I appreciate it. It's okay. I can, I can give you a mic. You don't have to yell. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask them a series of questions so that we can get to know them. And they're going to explain what they do, who they are, and, and it'll be fun. And I'm just going to pass the mic, and then you'll pass it back because there's only one microphone. Budget probs. All right. So here it is. First question. Let's start with this. How old are you, and where are you from? Okay. <laughs> I like that. That was great. Um, so I am 23 years old, and I'm from Swanee, Georgia, and I currently live in Alpharetta. I'm 24, and I'm from Memphis, Tennessee. All right, second question. What school, what college did you attend, and did you graduate? <laughs> Let's start with this one. I went to Ole Miss, the University of Mississippi, and I was a ceramics major, and I did not graduate. That's okay. Um, I went to Valdosta State University. It's in South Georgia, and I uh, did a sociology major. That's my major. That's a great major. When you work with high school kids, let's be honest, sociology is key. I was political science. I've never used it in my life, my professional life. I'm not, I voted twice. All right, third question. How did you get connected with Perimeter and the residency program? I came to a conference that they held last year, and I needed a job, and a job opened up eventually, and they called me, and I applied, and they hired me. So, um, so I guess really to Perimeter, um, I was a freshman in college, and it was a retreat. And uh, a week after, at a retreat, I, uh, I don't know, check, check, great, awesome. Um, so a week later, I came to know the Lord, so Perimeter is you know, kind of a great um, testament of my salvation. But uh, I uh, first entered the, uh, the J-High residency or J-High um, internship in the summer, and that was uh, two years ago, and I kept getting involved with the BRICS and volunteering and heard about the uh, All-In program, so I met with Jeff and Emilio and got hired, so... That's how I Awesome. And then what do you see yourself doing after the residency program's up? <laughs> um, I, um, I want to go into full-time ministry. I have a passion for uh, young men and really um, helping them to really be empowered and teach them the word. And um, just uh, in our culture today, there's just a, a, a really a lack of what does manhood mean and really to teach them the word and to uh, help them to see how they have been created to be uh, as men of God. Um, so teach them, disciple them, and send them out. So. I want to be a crazy cat lady and have lots of cats. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, youth ministry. I would love to continue on with youth ministry and then eventually women's ministry. And yeah. And what's something about you that if, if we knew this, it would offer more insight to who you are? Uh, I have cats, and I really like them. <laughs> um, I, um, I, I love when um, I hear stories and watch movies when um, just uh, people that just do brave things 
and just go out of their way to stand up for what they believe in. So um, just, I mean, movies like, like Gladiator and uh, Braveheart. I mean, I, d- I just love um, those, those moments. So. Awesome. Thank you all for uh, answering those questions. Those, those are good questions, and I think that helps us to get to know you a little bit. But I think this next round of questions will help us even more. A little round we call the speed round. So here's what's going to happen. I'm going to ask you a question, and you just have to answer it. I'm going to do this. I won't hit you. I might. So you're not going to have time to think about this. These questions are deep. No, I'm not sure. Now as I think about it, we might skip this. All right, ready? Question one, your room, clean or dirty? Clean. Dirty. iPhone or Droid? Droid. iPhone. iPhone's the right answer there. Your, your microphone's not on. Vacation, mountains or beach? Beach. Be- uh, beach? Beach? Let's go to the beach. There's a lot of hesitation there. A little Nicki Minaj, I don't know. What does that even mean? Uh, come on, get with it. Let's see. I will. Pancakes or waffles? Uh, pancakes. French toast. <laughs> all right, first of all, that wasn't an option. Second of all, I was coming up with these questions, and Erickson overheard it, and he answered waffles earlier. But now that you've thought about it, we're going with pancakes? That's fair. They're delicious. Chick-fil-A or Zaxby's? Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. That's correct. <laughs> Architectural preference, neoclassicism or missional revival? Pass. I don't know. <laughs> the answer is neoclassicism, of course. Last question. And this job, the answer to this question might get you fired. Have you read the answer, yes or no? No. Um, Jesus is the answer, so yes, I've read the answer. That's great. You can, you can tell that to Randy later. He's coming to our office tomorrow. I'll be good. Hey, y'all give them a hand. Y'all give them a hand. Thank y'all so much. Hey, what's great and what uh, we didn't get to share is, is these two, more than anybody else on our staff, are on the high school campuses themselves. They go to lunches. They go to football games. They go to plays. They're at Starbucks all the time, according to the receipts and expense reports. This we know about them. But they are very much... The, uh, they're the ones who we send out on the front line that are really doing the hardest part of, of what we ask uh, youth ministers to do. And, and they are there, and we are grateful for them. So thank you all for doing that. We're going to go ahead and keep moving. I think I'm going to bring up Jeff. I said I think. I found out I was doing this an hour ago. So y'all give it up for the legend, Jeff Summers. All right. Thank you. Welcome to Parent Youth. This is your first time here. Um, what A lot of what it's about is we just want to make sure that when you see the face of one of our staff members, you kind of know who they are, what they do. As Emilio said, you can, you can see the talent that our group has. Uh, Emilio's really funny. He does an amazing job connecting with students on Duluth's campus primarily, but he oversees all of our residents. And then Ainsley's primary focus is Johns Creek, and Erickson primarily focuses on Norcross. But that doesn't mean, again, if a student wants to spend time with them, they can't uh, get time with them. So they're doing an excellent job of pursuing students and so we're we're very blessed to have them uh, in, in that way and so today we're we're kind of continuing our series on uh on-demand parenting and and what we've been talking about is is a lot of different aspects of the fact that we're always on demand right we're always kind of on when it comes to uh, ministering to our kids and how do we do that in such a fast-paced 
environment. Our kids are constantly distracted. How can we help connect them to the things that are really important, to the things that, that need to happen? And today we're going to be talking about teaching us thinking, okay? Kind of how do we focus on us instead of uh, our kids can, can focus so much on me. Now, we all struggle with that, right? We can all go into me mode, right? I don't know if you've ever seen the comedian uh, Brian Regan. Do we, do we have a clip from Brian? Yeah. Brian did a thing on this, the, the me monster. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but it's... Brian's singing, so he doesn't usually sing, but... Uh. I'm actually kind of quiet off stage. A lot of people don't realize that. I was at a dinner party recently. A bunch of people that I don't know. One guy talking plenty for everybody. Me, myself, right? And then I, and then myself, right? Me, me. I couldn't tell this one about I because I was talking about myself, and then me, me, me. If you've had, the whole clip's pretty, pretty amazing, but, you know, the me monster does come up, right? And I think one of the things that when it comes to teenagers that it amazes me, and this is a real difference that I saw in being a parent versus being a youth worker, is as a youth worker, you don't see the me monster quite as much when you're interacting with students. But when you're the parent, you're kind of a little amazed at how self-centered our kids can be. It's kind of shocking at times. Uh, to see that. And I know all of us have that within ourselves, right? We can all be self-centered, but it is kind of a natural thing that our kids go into that. And it's not all their fault, and it's not all bad either. I do, as I was thinking about this this morning, thinking about the idea that students are at the most, you know, self-conscious, right? Their whole life is changing. Their bodies are changing. They got all these hormones. They feel awkward. They feel, uh, isolated. They have a zit. They, they don't fit in. They're not athletic and they want to be. They're not as smart as they want to be. And so much self-focus happens in those teen years because just developmentally of what's going on with them, right? And so in a lot of ways, this, the thinking only about themselves just is a byproduct of that, where it kind of comes out of that. Now, we still have to break them of it, right? That's <laughs> still our job is to kind of work in there and say, okay, yes, developmentally we can see how you got here, and we do need to be empathetic to that in that regard, but at the same time, you can't live your whole life with it all revolving around you, right? Uh, otherwise, we're going to have raise a bunch of me monsters, and we don't want to do that, and so how do we, how do, we do that? And I, I was thinking about this in terms of a kind of a solar system going on here, and uh, you know, we'll put a little diagram up there. You've got you know, our life when our kids are little is pretty much like this first slide, right? Uh, we, our life should be revolving around God, okay? And our kids are just little satellites of us, right? Like in my life, I got, I got four moons, you know, circling me because I got four kids. And so our kids are taking cues from us in that way, and they don't know what it means to be a Christian. Even if they're covenant kids, I mean, God may have written you know, their names in the book of life. We have no idea. We're just trying to, you know, do the best we can. They're trying to take cues from us. They mostly get when they're all about the rules, right? The rules is what they understand. And so 
that's kind of a normal thing. And what it should progress from there is that eventually we are launching those satellites out to where they're going to be revolving around the sun, right? They're going to be revolving around God and that their whole life should be oriented on who God is and what he means to them, okay, right? That's the way it's supposed to work out. Now, what can happen as we, as we move through here, it's, it's worse when, and this is often what we see in the teenage years, the son is the student, right? They're, the child becomes the world. Everything revolves around them. And especially if they're not a believer, we're orbiting their world, right? We're doing everything. I mean, we're just one satellite for them. And God might not even be orbiting them at all. He's usually a part of their life. But they haven't really figured out that he's all of their life. He's just a piece. And maybe he's only revolving around us. And they know he's a part of our life, right? Or maybe, maybe... The, God is a satellite as well that's revolving around them. But that's not the way it's supposed to be, right? Our, our orientation can get all mixed up, and we have to be intentional about training them not to have it be that way. Uh, and, and, of course, it's equally bad if we're the sun, right? And we can do that in our own sin nature, right? We can be the sun and have our kids and God and everything orbiting us. We have to be careful that we're not modeling that. Um, it's hard when we look in Scripture to start talking about some of this stuff because the Bible doesn't go into, I mean, it definitely shows a lot of crazy family situations, right, throughout, especially through the Old Testament. Um, I was thinking of Joseph as one of those situations. You know, Joseph, and we, we mention him a lot because we do know some of his family dynamics. You know, he was the youngest son. He was the favorite son, uh, clearly the favorite. His brothers hated him so bad they wanted to kill him, right? And he even was so much the center, he was having dreams that everyone was going to bow down to him. Now, those were given to him by God, but still, that didn't work very well for him, did it? That he was not only the center of the universe, but he was like, hey, I'm the center, I'm the favorite. And by the way, I keep having these dreams that you guys are going to bow to me one day. Did not go well. And yet, God set that up because God knew the things that he was going to break Joseph, certainly, of his self-centeredness, right? Uh, he took some, a lot of years to do that and brought a lot of pain and hardship into his life. But when the world revolves around me, okay, when I'm the center, it does little to prepare me for that boss who is not very nice later on in life, right? Or the coworkers that I have to interact with, or uh, the girl drama that you may have to deal with in middle school or in high school, when if at home everything is kind of centered and revolves around us, that's, it's not going to prepare them for the, the, the real-life challenges that they're going to face, right, as they leave our house and move into the world. Um, so how do, we, how do we teach this us thinking? One, one example, uh, Cami heard this on the news years ago, and we don't know where we got it from, but there was a family that was uh, kind of a very working-class, poor family trying to get by, and they really realized that, like, for example, getting out of poverty and education was the way they were going to do that, was, was going to be their way out of that poverty situation. And what they did, the entire family worked to put the oldest child through college. Okay, now can you imagine that? I mean, they're collecting bottles, they're going, throwing newspapers, they're working at McDonald's, and they're all paying money to send the oldest child through college. Then he turned around and helped pay you know, everybody's still working, and they focused on child number two. And they had like six kids, and they did this until everybody paid for everybody to go to college. And a lot, many of them ended up with advanced degrees and things like that, and it did pull them out of poverty. Now, can you imagine just that scenario 
Uh, first, in our own life, most of us are not in a situation where we need to do that, okay? But can you imagine the family dynamic of us thinking in that kind of scenario, where everybody's on the same page, everybody's working for a common goal, everybody is doing that, how it teaches the child that, hey, this is about our family, this is about other people. It makes me think that family probably did a great job of thinking of others and not just thinking about themselves, not just moving towards the me monster. And so even, let's, let's take in another thing that's very popular in this area. Um, I want to talk just for a second about sports leagues, okay? For us, and I've got lots of friends in sports leagues, my own kids have played sports, so I want you to know I'm not picking on anybody, but I want us to be aware of the unintended consequences of things that we're doing. If our child, if my kid, my daughter, plays on a travel team of some type, um, that's great. It's a great opportunity. You're going to be gone on the weekends, right? You're going to be investing a lot of money. But think about just the dynamic in your family when you do that. When we do that, my daughter, let's say she's a gymnast or, you know, whatever. We'll just throw something out there. If you know my daughter, that's kind of a funny thing because my oldest daughter is not a gymnast. But let's say she's a gymnast and we're going to gymnastic stuff every weekend and the amount of our finance, our family's finances that are going to pay for that, the amount of time that her siblings are going, either being without a parent or that we're focused and taking all the kids to go watch them, the meals that we're buying out, the, the, all of these things. And for a lot of us, maybe that's not a big deal as far as a financial commitment, right? Depending on your, your financial means. But I'm not even talking about that as much as I'm saying, think about that. The whole world revolves around me and my sport. If we're not careful, and I'm not saying sports leagues are a bad thing, but what I'm saying is we're unintentionally teaching that child that, hey, we're all revolving around you, right? In that scenario, with that sport, the whole family can just be revolving around that child and, and what they're doing if we're not careful. And so, you know, thinking about that, like one of the things that I've told uh, Jace, my, my second born, he, he was into basketball a lot, and we would constantly say, hey, this is your thing. Like, I'm not coming to all your games. Now, you may think that I'm mean for that, but I always wanted him to say, you know, basketball is your thing, and I want you to play it because you love it, and you should love it whether I'm there or not, because I have a life too, and it doesn't always revolve around coming to your games. Now, I love to go to his games. I love to watch him play, but I didn't feel guilty at all if I missed a game, because that was his thing, and I wanted him to know that he was playing that uh, because he enjoyed it, and that's what he, he liked to do. And so I'm just trying to say, how are we getting them to think through some of these things? Uh, is it that we are not all revolving around them? And so we, like in that scenario, where does church fit in? You know, if we don't want God to just be a satellite out there, but if, if our whole life revolves around that league, and it could be it's something different. I'm using a sports league as an example. But you see what I'm saying? If your whole life revolves around that, then for them to start thinking, well, church is not that important because we don't revolve around church. Church revolves around me. You see what I mean? And we can unintentionally communicate that kind of thing. Uh, scripture does have some things to say about the me monster uh, and some things that, and you sh you, mo many of you are probably familiar with these passages. In Philippians 2, uh, he says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, you know from Philippians 2, he goes on 
in this passage to describe Jesus, that he's the ultimate example of this, right? That he, he left heaven and came to earth and sacrificed himself all the way to the cross. And so we have this as our, he is our example that through God working through us and in us, right? That's the only way we can do that. The only way we cannot be a me monster, because I think, honestly, I am naturally a me monster, right? I naturally want to think about myself. And it is only through the gospel, through Jesus working in us, through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, where I'm apprehending that power, where I am going to God and saying, God, I'm a mess by myself. I need you working in me and through me. Can I do that? And we have to be the chief repenters in our own homes, right? We have to go to our kids and say, I am sorry that this has been all about me. Uh, It's not all about me. And how can we model that for our kids? We have to model even our own repentance, right, in those areas, in those ways, so they see that. There's another interesting passage in 2 Thessalonians, and he says this. Now, it's kind of a long one. He says, now we commend you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Paul speaking again. That you keep away from a brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition you receive from us. For you yourselves know that you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some of you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Now there's some interesting things that he is doing here in this passage. This is, the early church was kind of like a commune. I mean, it, it, their people were selling property, right? They were, they were giving, oh, you have a need here, let me help. And naturally, what could happen in such an environment? Some of us are really happy to say, oh, you're going to provide? Oh, this is great. The church is the greatest thing ever. I don't have to do anything. And people were just coming in and planting and saying, I'll eat. Yeah, I'll belly up, you know, every time <laughs> we're going to set the table, I'm going to eat. But they weren't working. They weren't contributing. And he, he says pretty, pretty seriously, if you're not willing to lend a hand, you don't get to eat. And that doesn't sound like Christian charity there. It's interesting how, but he's saying it's not okay for you not to contribute to the needs of the whole. And that's my point. And for us in thinking about that for our families, are we giving our kids those little opportunities, those things, even at an appropriate age when they're little? And as they get older, are we saying, hey, you've got to contribute to the needs of our household? And the other thing that I think is amazing is Paul is very clear to say that he and his and the people that were with him gave them an example to imitate. Hey, we, we came in and we worked harder than the rest of you. That was Paul's example. He said, you got to follow my example. We jumped in with both feet and we could have received from you because we're apostles. I'm an apostle and I'm, I can take my pay from the gospel. I mean, he made that clear. But you know what? I didn't take that. I worked harder than anybody else to prove as, and be an example to you. Now, how... so. Let's think about this in a different way. If, if you, let's say you're a single person and you go out and you want to live with five roommates. Now, how would that, what would that look like? Okay, normally, right, you would jump in and say, okay, I got, you guys want to be roommates. And what, what would that look like? You would split everything, right, in fifths. Okay, uh, everybody, I'm going to take everybody's money. Everybody pays a fifth and I'm going to pay all our bills 
and you would have to come up. Some of you, if you've had roommates in college or at different times, it's a pain, right? You got to, oh, somebody's messy, somebody's clean, you know, it, how do you deal with this? Somebody ate my cereal or, I mean, it's, I was a horrible roommate when I was in the Air Force. I look back and I just think, and I wasn't walking with the Lord at the time, and boy, did it show, because I was so unsanctified. In my, I was just awful. When I look back, I just cringe. So, but I, so I think about this time of what kind of roommate do you have and do you want, and all roommates have to contribute, right, to what's going on in the family or in that household. Now, what if you say, I'm going to, here's, let's do this, and maybe a couple of you uh, are paying everything, cleaning everything, doing all the stewardship of everything, and everybody else is just kind of there, enjoying the food, enjoying that you're mowing the lawn, enjoying the, how would that make you feel in regards to that, okay? Probably not real awesome, uh, probably wouldn't be a situation that you would want to stay in. Now, what we got to realize is this is our family, okay? Uh, if you think about it, in your family system, uh, it's, even, it's even worse if I say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for the house and all your food and all your, if somebody said this to you, not, don't think of it as a, as a family situation. I'm going to pay for your house, all your food, your transportation, your clothing, your vacations, and your health care. All you have to do is help cook the meals, help keep the house clean, and help maintain the yard. But I'm going to do all that other stuff. That sounds like an amazing deal. I would take that deal. If one of you wants to let me pay my house payment, pay for my vacations and my vehicles, and all I have to do is maintain my house, I would jump on that in a heartbeat, right? That would be great. And yet we're letting our kids grow up in this environment, and a lot of us, it's like our kids are living in an all-inclusive resort, right? I mean, if you are that kind of person who makes your kids lunch every day, makes all their meals, if, if you do their laundry, if you clean their room, if you do all of this, you're not equipping them, and we're, again, teaching them unintentionally. You're being nurturing, which God has equipped you to do and be, right? But unintentionally, we're teaching them, I would not want to grow up and get out of that environment. That sounds amazing. I mean, right now, we pay big money to have that, right? To go, go to Cancun, to an all-inclusive. Some of our kids have that in their own home, right? And so how are we intentionally teaching them not to have the world revolve around them. Um, my daughter, Tirza, we had a conversation about this that was interesting. When we, we, she went to PCS from like fifth grade on, and when she started going to Duluth High School, we said, oh, this is great. There's a bus. You know, you don't, we don't have to take you to school anymore. Uh, this is amazing. I like this bus thing. It's awesome. Somebody else is going to do this. And she did not want to ride the bus. I mean, it was like you would think there was like torturers on the bus who would, you know, there was a rack that she was going to be strapped to and tortured on the way there because it was like the worst thing ever to go ride the bus. And so she pretty much never did. She figured it out and we kind of said, okay, well, and you got to figure out your ride situation. And she did that. And, and, but like it was a year and a half later, really, before we finally got into this conversation where she explained, why wouldn't I think that you would take me to school your whole life, my whole life you have taken me to school? And we didn't even realize that our, her whole life, she'd gone to private school or been homeschooled before that time. And so we had always taken her to school because there was no bus going wherever we were going. And so, of course, that expectation that she built up, that wasn't her fault that she had that expectation. And so she just expected us to do that. And we had unintentionally taught her that that was not a privilege that every day we took her to school. That was her right. And therefore... She wanted that right to continue 
on all the way through. And so if we're doing that unintentionally, how many other things are we unintentionally teaching our kids that everything kind of revolves around them? Um, Again, these problems are new to society because of our wealth, because of our, our situation. Um, and I don't mean our wealth as in, I just mean America, period, right? We have the ability to do these things. In agrarian societies throughout history, everybody was involved in what everybody needed. You know, to put food on the table took everybody in the whole family. And we don't need that anymore. But because of that, we have to be more intentional about teaching this us thinking, about getting that in their minds. I want to quit talking for a while and give you guys some time to talk around your tables. So we're going to have some discussion questions up for a little while, um, for about 10 minutes, and then Cammie's going to uh, come up and kind of close us out with her uh, monologue. So take 10 minutes. We've got some questions up there. And uh, let me pray for us, and, and, and we'll jump into these questions. Lord, thank you for this, this thought, this teaching uh, that... Each of us should look not only to our own interests, but to, to see others around us. And Lord, though developmentally our kids are kind of forced into this self-reflection and self-thought, it can become an unhealthy thing. And Lord, we want our kids to contribute to the needs, not, not for us to be served, but so that they have a giving heart, so they are others-focused. Um, and so help us to know how to do this in a way that, uh, that makes sense for our family context and... Um, Lord, we, we praise you for this time. Help our discussion, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, if you're at a table, you can feel free to switch tables if there's nobody else there. And, and uh, again, we're just going to talk about this for about 10 minutes or so. Hi, I'm Kami Summers. I'm Jeff's wife. And um, I usually come up and I talk about what this really looks like in our household and how we, it's hard. Um, I don't think... Full confession, I don't think we've done a good job of the we thinking. And I, as Jeff and I were talking about it, I really think that there's kind of this dissonance between equipping them for independence, which kind of builds in it this independent thinking, self-centeredness, it can. And then there's this like corporate mentality. And that... That is an awareness of others that I think can be learned from a nurturing um, perspective if it's not nurturing to the extent of independence. Does that make sense? Like you've got kind of this independence. I want you to be able to take care of yourself. I want you to be responsible. I want you to. But then that nurturing piece is thinking of others kind of, you know. And so I, I don't know that in our household we've done a good job of that. I mean, I know we haven't done a good job of it. I don't think I'm good at it. I don't think I'm good at the thinking of others. And even this week, I think I was challenged in that respect of, um, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like as a mama, I've got these lists of things to do. And I've got the work list, and I've got the marriage list, and I've got the household list, and I've got the kids list, and I've got all these lists. And sometimes those lists aren't terribly nurturing to my kids. Um, I've been thinking about this whole idea of, of on-demand parenting. And one of the things I think needs to be said out loud is that sometimes you don't get what you expect. Um, it's kind of like if you were to call and order a movie and you ordered X-Men 
and what you got was pride and prejudice. <laughs> you know, you kind of don't get um, what you're expecting. And as I look at my teens, if I'm honest, I'm really surprised at the adults they're becoming. Um, when they were little, I had all these ideas. And, and I don't think it's just me and my kids. I can look at, I have eight um, nieces and nephews in their 20s, and I look at who they've become and where they've landed, and I'm surprised. Um, I really am. And, and so I've been thinking a lot about that on-demand idea, and I've been thinking about not why when they're little do we see it leading this direction, and really it ends up over here. And one of the things I, I think I've come up with is when you see the little two-year-old or the four-year-old or whatever, you can see them without sin. You know, you see their raw interest in Legos, and you can see them being an engineer building houses, right? Or you see them with this artistic ability, and you can see them, you know, painting pictures in the Metropolitan Museum, you know? Like, we can see them without the brokenness impacting them, without sin, without rebellion, without it being hard. And I think that when we actually grow into those years, the teens and then going even into the 20s, it can be surprising, even maybe shocking. So if I'm honest and I say that these aren't the teens I ordered, <laughs> I have to be equally honest and say I'm probably not the mother they would have ordered. <laughs> um, I'm not nurturing naturally. You know, I, I always say, why would I make them their lunch when the rest of their life they need to know how to make their own lunch? <laughs> I mean, I think I definitely um, land on the side of wanting them to be independent. And so I don't, I'm not nurturing. I'm not um, tender or sympathetic. Um, and even though my kids have probably looked on eBay to order me a gentle and quiet spirit for Mother's Day, it hasn't come. <laughs> um, I can be really demanding myself. And so I know that even last night as I was talking to my kids about it, you know, it was funny. I, I really felt like I should videotape them and bring that in as they're imitating me. You know, <laughs> like, you know, they're like, and I'm like, do I really sound that way? And they're like, yes, you do. And I'm like, ah. Um, the reality is the American dream is often not very dreamy. But it is sanctifying. And that's on purpose. Um, when God brings us deep in relationship with someone, whether it's our spouse or our kids, he uses it. He can use it to reveal parts of our heart our own hardness, our own selfishness, um, and he can use it to change our hearts. I, I know that for me, the teen years have been the most sanctifying, and I've seen, I've seen how little control I actually have, and that's really hard. Um, I read somewhere that God is more concerned about our holiness than our happiness. And I think that's true. Even if, we, even if we live in a world that's on demand, we have to acknowledge our God is not on demand. He often doesn't give us what we want, but he 
faithfully gives us what we need. The surprising part to me is how often those things are different in my own heart. How often what I want is not what I need. And I think that's true for my kids too. Um, For whatever reason, God wanted them to have me as their mom. With all my flaws and all my brokenness and all my harshness, And I want to say that I'm really grateful that he's a redeemer because in my parenting there is much to redeem. (laughs) Um, But he's also using them to change me, to teach me to depend on him in ways that I wouldn't if it weren't for them. As I pray for my teens, I am acutely aware that I don't know what lies ahead. But I take great comfort in the fact that God does. He sees far beyond my limited vision, and his plan is good. And so if you leave here today and you say, I'm terrible at facilitating this we thinking, you know, maybe you're on the far end of independence and you're pushing them towards independence, and that's teaching them to think only of themselves and And so maybe you need to add some of that nurture piece in. That's what I've been thinking about in the past few weeks. Maybe you're way over here in the nurture place and you're making their beds and, you know, they're at that all-inclusive resort at your house. And so you need to add some of that independent equipping, you know, wherever you are on the spectrum. Um, I just want to encourage you and say you're not alone. This whole parenting thing is hard. And... It drives me to my knees in a good way, and I hope it does you too. So let me pray for us today. Dear Lord, we just come before you, and we lift up to you our teens. We lift up to you our households, and we confess, Lord, it can be a battleground, and we need you. We need the Prince of Peace in our homes, and we need you to come and guide us as the parents. Um, Help us to think of the needs of our kids, whether that be um, in being more nurturing or being more equipping or whatever that looks like. Lord, we need you to guide us because left to ourselves, we'll do it wrong. Um, And I pray for our teens. I cannot imagine how hard it would be to be a teen in this season, this age. There's so much to distract. There are so many demands. It is so complicated. Um, The social circumstances are so difficult and our culture is combative and I just pray I pray for the kids represented by the families here I pray that you would get a hold of their hearts and that you would protect them from the sin within their own heart and the sin outside and that you would give them an unquenchable hunger for your word and an unshakable faith and that they would grow into men and women after your own heart And that you would begin a revival in this country in our teens. That they would be so passionate about you. That they would be a fire in our country. um, And that others would be drawn to their warmth and their love because of the work you're doing in each of their lives. And so I just pray that. And I confess that we as parents are not smart enough or capable enough to make that happen So we're depending on you through the power of the Holy Spirit to work in us 
and to work in our kids and to transform this country by your power. All these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Like this. Yep. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll give it up for Cami and Jeff. Such a blessing. Love y'all. And I'll say this. I'm a product of parents nurturing their kids like crazy. And you can ask my wife. That did not turn out great. I am so incredibly selfish. And I am. It's all about me. I haven't changed. Thank y'all so much. Y'all have a great Lord's Day. God bless.